a special episode of Theology Unplugged. The audio is taken from a lecture I recently gave entitled God as Artist, A Theology of Art. The evening of the lecture served as the formal kickoff for Resonate. Resonate is a group based here in Oklahoma City, but artists from around the world are involved with their efforts. The goal of Resonate is that of encouraging artists to create from a life grounded in theology with Christ at the center, to know who and what God is, to humbly allow that to impact your life, and to express that creatively in all artistic endeavors so as to impact the world for Christ. We hope you enjoy this lecture. Art is long, life is short. Um, that quote was written in a book given to me when I was six years old. And it was this uh, elderly lady at my church um, who was this really interesting lady. But in that book um, were pages of artwork that spanned centuries. I was hooked. I didn't understand the quote when I was a kid. I was six. I think I understand it now. Um, the quote itself is from Hippocrates. He was an ancient Greek physician. And he wasn't an artist, but what he was pretty much saying there is that... Um, hold on one second, I'm sorry. This is the first time I've lectured, I'm so sorry. Um, yeah. <laughs> Okay, all right. Um, the quote is actually in reference to any craft in general, anything that's made from human hands, um, from a table to a tapestry, from a sonnet to a ship. Anything that uh, is crafted by people can be considered art. And the point of the quote is that whatever you do with your life, which is so short, to do it with excellence, to strive to do it with excellence, because it has the potential to uh, outlive you, and to impact and even serve future generations. Uh, there's also the narrow sense in which we define art, which most of us today are kind of, un, you know, we, we're familiar with, um, which is essentially expressing beauty by way of painting or sculpture or poetry or film. Um, and we'll, we'll get into that um, later on. But uh, what I want to start with, in keeping with the context of the evening, is God as artist. Um, you know, it's interesting that God's first act outside of his eternal fellowship, God existing eternally as a trinity, the first act outside of that was the act of creation, creating. Now, David really did an excellent job in uh, articulating that very artfully and exquisitely. Um, and, and, and there's you know, quite a bit of debate about why he created, because if you think in terms of God, he needs nothing. So he didn't create out of necessity. Um, he, uh, there, there are a few reasons, though, that we could pretty much be confident in understanding why he did choose to create. Um, out of his eternal grace and benevolence, uh, he had a desire to give and bring forth life. And uh, his act of creation demonstrates that. It, it demonstrates his love and his desire to give. Also, what we can see uh, through his creation is his love for and desire to express beauty. Um, so just in creation alone, we can see... Um, that God has a love of beauty, 
Uh, and we see that expressed in his use of color, tone, depth, symmetry, scale, which I don't know all the fancy terms. I'm not actually an artist, but um, I'm sure there's precise ways to um, explain that. But we see creation depicting God as an artist. Also, throughout Scripture, we see repeatedly God um, showing an interest in the creative process of humans. Even right from the beginning, when uh, with his admonition to Adam to tend the garden and keep it a certain way. That is an artful act. Um, so we see that there. We see him instructing Noah, so God is architect, on how to build the ark. We see him instructing Moses on how to build the other ark. So the two different arks. <laughs> one with lots of animals, one with the Ten Commandments. Uh, we see him uh, even taking interest in the construction of the temple and the tabernacle. Uh, and also all the art that was placed in there. Uh, he has a keen interest in that. Uh, we even see him as a costume designer, not to relegate the garments that the priest wore to costumes, but um, he was actively involved in the design of those things. And something that's really interesting to note is that he employed things from nature, and he allowed those things to be used on these garments, um, which, as a side note, there's some who would say if you're a Christian and you create, you should only do things or be inspired from the sacred. You shouldn't really, you know, dabble with other things or represent other things, but that's not the case at all because we don't even see, we see in scripture where um, God is encouraging humans to create these things and make, you know, ornate works of art. Um, so, so anyway, we see the God in the Old Testament. All the examples I've given have been from the Old Testament, but um, to where he um, is creative and interested in the creative process. But uh, also in the New Testament, by way of the Incarnation, um, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, became a man. And before he started his earthly ministry, he was a craftsman. He was a carpenter. He was a stone worker. Um, and um, I can imagine that it was pretty, pretty uh, great work that he, he created. Was, was that... <laughs> High, high, high quality. Ethan Allen stuff. <laughs> First century Palestine, Ethan Allen. Um, but uh, something also we see that during his ministry, uh, Christ actually used art forms to teach. Uh, the parable is a form of drama. And he employed that to illustrate truths. Um, and he also, um, he had a creative use of language, uh, as we see as recorded in the Gospels. Uh, when he spoke, uh, he employed uh, hyperbole and metaphor and common idioms of his day. Uh, so he used, he had a creative use of literary devices when he taught. And of course, we can look forward um, to when God will create again when he creates a new heaven and, and the new earth. So from beginning to end, we, we see how God is the ultimate creator. Uh, he, he's also the ultimate appreciator and communicator of beauty. And I think the way that we can see this expressly is by way of his most unique creation, and that's humanity. Um, the psalmist says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and indeed we are. Our chemical and biological makeup is astounding. The more we come to stand, uh, understand about how our bodies work, um, the more amazing it is to know that God's behind it all. Our bodies are marvelous machines, and just the human form in general is utterly beautiful. 
Um, the Lord could have just simply left it at that, just with bodies. That's amazing enough, and, and certainly um, a call to worship and, and to show gratitude. But he went a step further, and um, in that he bestowed his very image upon us. So uh, this is understood as the image of God, or to be fancy, the Imago Dei. That's some Latin for you. <laughs> Um, now, there's a lot of debate as to what this is, but we can certainly understand that the image of God is not less than our being rational moral agents. Uh, what that means is we can reason, God reasons, we can know um, we're moral, we know what's right from wrong, and God is the source of all that is right, um, and we have agency, or what a will, we can act on those two things. Um, so we can know true things or we can know things and true things, and we can know what is right and wrong, and we can act in accordance with it. Another element of God's image within us is our love of beauty um, and our ability to express it through creative things. Uh, so the image of God within us can be understood as the ability to know what is true, what is good, and what is beautiful, and the ability to act on all three. Now, I believe these three things are inseparable. Uh, the ancients, the Greeks, called them the absolutes, truth, goodness, and beauty. And in that they're being absolute, it means that they're objective. They never change. They transcend time, space, culture. There's a commonality there throughout all humanity. And I think we can reflect on human history and see that it's evident. Um, they're in our culture today. It's really hard to get down to that because it seems to be shifting and uh, but that's another lecture, another po possibly a podcast topic. <laughs> um, but at any rate, so when we as humans create art, uh, we're attempting to express those things, truth, goodness, and beauty. And this is any human, by the way. Any human that's attempting to create a work of art is expressing what they think is true, good, and beautiful. And they may not always get it right because some people don't really know the truth wholly. They don't know the source of truth. They don't know the source of, source of beauty, and they don't know the source of goodness, which uh, we're in a different boat as Christians, but we'll talk about that shortly. Um, so why are we drawn to beauty, and, and why do we want to create beautiful things? Humans tend to show an inclination to appreciate that which is beautiful. Uh, and, and the thing is, when we see beauty, we recognize God's imprint on things, uh, we see that. It's not him, but it is an arrow that points to him. And again, even if you're not a believer and don't know the true God of the universe, you have his image within you, and therefore you recognize his image at work. You recognize his, his image on things. Um, and so that resonates within us. Um, now, you know, again, some of human, humanity suppress this. That, that knowledge that God is the reason we love beauty, but he is the reason nonetheless, regardless if people acknowledge it. Another thing, an interesting thing um, that we all kind of share when we recognize beautiful things or well-made things is that we recognize the imprint of humanity on these things as well. Uh, we're human and thus identify with humanly made things. Um, we recognize the dignity of the person who made, made it. Francis Schaeffer calls this the mannishness of man, and I love that. I, I love Schaeffer. Uh, there may be other people who said it before him, but I really don't care. It's Schaeffer who said it, so that's what I'm going with. I love him. 
Um, but, but we see in these madman things uh, this mannishness of man, and we appreciate it for that because uh, we recognize our own humanity in humanly made things. Uh, we create because God created us, and we bear his image, so we follow suit. We create to express our love and perception of that which is beautiful. Uh, and we create to express what is true. Our worldview comes through our work. Uh, what is good and what we think is right and what is beautiful. Um, so I'll, I'll, get, I'll touch on that shortly about um, like when I address the four points that make good art. So what makes for good art? Uh, in Francis Schaeffer's book, Art in the Bible, which this is pretty much going to be is based on this um, book, everything that I'm talking about tonight, it's a tiny little book. It's an excellent primer uh, for uh, Christians to um, you know, better understand how to view the arts and appreciate the arts. And I highly recommend it's not even, I think, four bucks on Amazon. So, yeah, it's a must-have. Um, but in his book... He brings up very important points regarding how art can um, be understood. There's a, a few things that make for bad art. Art for art's sake. And that term is used a lot, and I hear it overused, and I often hear it used in ways that I think that it's like that word you keep using. I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> I hear it used wrongly. Um, but really, a way, the best way to understand art for art's sake is that it's just there and that's it it's just created for that purpose just to be there uh, and it doesn't really say anything it just is now there's reasons for that there's philosophical movements paradigm shifts and thoughts that I'm not even going to get into that's a resonate topic as to why this notion of art for art's sake has arisen but just know that it's bad all right <laughs> And if you disagree, we'll talk about it later. All right. Uh, also, using art as merely a message for, uh, or a vehicle for a message. Uh, Christians and non-Christians alike, um, they've held this view and made this mistake. And the thing is, it just reduces art to merely an intellectual statement. Keeping in mind the three components, these things can't, truth, goodness, and beauty, you can't separate them. And once you, when you try to, it just goes haywire. Now, a proper view of art, what I think makes good art, it's, it's a worldview that is expressed beautifully with skill, integrity, intelligence, and relevance. And this ties into the four points found in Schaefer's book, Art in the Bible. The four points are technical excellence, validity, intellectual content, integration of content, and vehicle. So with technical excellence... That is demonstrated in color, form, balance, texture, the turn of a phrase, the angle of a lens, the manner in which a director even shoots a scene. Uh, we can discern technical excellence in such things. And there is object, I do believe we can object, objectively discern these things. Uh, we can recognize excellence and appreciate it without embracing the worldview of the artist. So that means Christians, we can recognize things that the world puts out. Uh, and if it has that technical excellence, if an artist has chops, we need to give them, we need to give them props. Yeah. <laughs> That's some <laughs> chops. <laughs> David, it's catching. Uh, 
even, uh, even if we're disagreeing with what they're saying, because listen, man, man must be treated fairly. And that's the thing. We, as Christians, it's a virtuous thing to treat men fairly, to treat fellow humans fairly, and not to automatically dismiss their abilities, dismiss uh, their self-expression, because we're in disagreement with it. We still need to recognize their dignity as, as fellow image bearers. Yeah. <laughs> now, the second point um, is validity. Um, and this is to do with whether or not an artist is honest to himself or uh, his worldview. Above all, to thy own self be true. I had to sneak in some Shakespeare, brother, didn't I? <laughs> Uh, don't, uh, don't do what you do just for acceptance. Don't play to the critics. You know, and this goes for everyone. Don't, don't, well, you know, hope they like me. I hope, what was that, the chorus line that that, that stupid yeah. song's from? Sorry for anyone that likes chorus line. <laughs> I'm sure I, I recognize the dignity of the people that made that. <laughs> but that sucks. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but anyway, uh, don't, don't do what, another thing is, you don't do what you do merely for money, okay? Uh, you don't let your sole motivation be a bottom line. Uh, and in doing that, uh, it, it, don't, don't confuse this with, say, if you are a graphic designer, you do a job that requires creativity and getting paid for it as doing it for money. Because um, there's still excellence to what you, you strive in doing your work. And it is still you, the artist, expressing yourself. Uh, so don't dichotomize your work. Don't think, you know, uh, if I'm making a logo here, it's not the same, or it's not really art, but painting this picture is, or making this album cover is. Uh, don't dichotomize it. Uh, it would be like if I were to say, think that my food lacked validity, and my kids are here, so just say my food's always valid. But it's thinking that if my food lacked validity because one night I made hamburgers out of convenience, and then the next night I had two hours to cook a gourmet meal and put wine in a hot pan, like somehow one over supersedes the other. No, I mean, it's still a valid expression of, uh, well, in that case, uh, serving my family and feeding them and making sure their needs are met. So it's still a valid expression. Um, finally, uh, it, 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 just to kind of walk away from validity, what you, we should take away, if you're playing to the critics for mere acceptance or solely doing it for a paycheck, uh, then art lacks validity. So strive for validity. All right, the third point is intellectual content. Um, and this is where the worldview of an artist comes into play. For the Christian, our worldview is under the authority of Scripture. That's just it. Um, so when we create, we do so under that authority. And as Christians, while we can look at a work of art made by non-Christians, as I mentioned earlier, and appreciate it for its technical excellence and even for its validity, because the artist, even though they have a, a faulty worldview, they're still being true to their self and what their, their inspiration is. We can certainly, without apology, disagree with its intellectual content if it's lacking or if it's contrary to a Christian worldview, as Christians, we do not embrace that. Um, and because there, there are always propositional statements made in art. And a propositional statement is just essentially a statement made about reality or what you think, what you think, you know, about the world around you. So um, there's always those, that will always be found in art. And... Uh, 
And so those propositions they speak could very well be false, but it, no, it doesn't mean that they're uh, not attempting to say something that is true. So again, you just have to be mindful of that. Now, this is why Christians should be thoroughly grounded in a Christian worldview. And what this means is, and you guys brace yourself, um, studying theology, okay? Uh, the, and keep in mind that, you know, that word, is, it's, it strikes terror in the hearts of people for some reason. But it shouldn't, because the whole point of theology is, is not merely to know things, but it's rather to know things about a person, about Jesus. Um, and if you're grounded in the truths of Christ and the system with him at the center, you will know him more deeply, love him more dearly, and serve him more effectively. That's the purpose of theology, folks. Not to make you sound smart at dinner parties. Um, <laughs> so uh, as Christians and artists, being grounded in Christ and a Christian worldview is paramount to the content that you will deliver. Now, how is the content delivered? Um, this is the fourth point. So it's integration of content and vehicle. It's the vehicle. The greatest art fits the vehicle used to present the worldview. And a vehicle simply means the manner in which the content is delivered. And this is where we can afford to be a little subjective with art. Uh, I, I like, for one, I prefer Matisse to Botticelli. Someone may think I'm crazy for that. I certainly respect the technical excellence of Botticelli, and I know it supersedes that of Matisse, but in terms of preference, I love Matisse. I just love his use of color, and I just, I love him. Um, or, you know, Daft Punk to the Carpenters. I'm going to listen to Daft Punk before I listen to <laughs> Why Do Birds Suddenly, whatever that song is. So, uh, But that's just my preference. So there's liberty in how you express yourself, and there's also liberty in what you prefer or what you're partial towards in terms of appreciation of art. Now, to be, be some, uh, there's something to be mindful of, is that the vehicle should complement the content. So what exactly does that mean? Uh, you should want to create in a way that communicates to your given audience. Uh, present things in a way that they will understand, uh, and, and intentionally presenting confusing images or words for the sake of it is not art. And I don't know if any of you have been exposed to that type of art or that kind of filmmaking or even those kind of images. It's frustrating and you feel like it's a waste of time. And there's a reason for that. Uh, because good art should communicate something and it should be readily understood by those to whom it's communicated. Uh, for instance, you know, if I had stood here this evening and, and if I were standing here right now presenting my lecture in Latin, uh, none of you would be benefiting from it. Oh, you would. You know Latin. You know Latin. But, uh, but, you know, and the only thing I would have done is demonstrated that I know Latin. Um, but I don't know Latin. <laughs> but if I did and I did that, it would be of no use. I mean, some of you may think I was sophisticated. Uh, some of you may, have, may think that I was a, a pompous ass. Uh, but, to, but to no one, unless they're Latin speakers here, none of you would have gotten a point that I've made. So you want to ensure your vehicle is something that's tangible. Uh, and it doesn't mean you can't be creative and try new things, but, uh, but we'll get, get on to that in a little bit. Uh, another thing to avoid is using a bullhorn as part of a vehicle. And what I mean is... 
if you've ever encountered art, that the, the artist, you can just tell, the filmmaker, you can tell, they have an agenda, they have an axe to grind, and by God, everybody's going to know it. Everybody's going to know what this is. Uh, so you intentionally use your vehicle as a bullhorn. Um, if you're a playwright, that would mean you, you kind of stand behind your characters metaphorically, uh, shouting out your message. If you're a musician, you're force-feeding your audience your views. A good vehicle has the artist being not unlike God uh, in that they are ever-present but never seen. So um, you want to avoid the bullhorn. And if an artist exhibits technical excellence and is striving to have integrity or validity, then they will allow for their worldview to come through uh, organically without having to force it. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, we see this a lot in Christian art and uh, just the bullhorn. And as a result, you end up with bad art. Uh, but this doesn't mean you should not boldly express that which is true. Uh, but keep in mind you cannot let that be a sole motivation for your art. Otherwise, you're mere, merely using it to push intellectual content. Um, and ultimately, that's forsaking the other elements, important elements of art. Um, so earlier I suggested that it's important to make your vehicle tangible. That should not be seen as a restriction to any of you guys as on create, um, being creative. And it doesn't mean, mean that you have to craft your vehicle specifically for the critics, because you want to avoid doing that, because you don't want to lose your validity. But you do uh, want what you're presenting to be understood. And keep in mind, art is fluid. It's ever-changing. And where's my water? OK, there we go. Um, so there's no need to fear being bold in how you express yourself. Uh, but don't think that just being bold for the sake of it, it somehow makes you more authentic. Um, if you seek to be bold because you're looking for a new and intriguing way of expressing an idea, that should be commended. Um, at any rate, as I said, art's ever-changing, and it's the artist's job to be mindful of that and even lead the charge in the changes. You may devise an entirely new vehicle to express an old idea, and that's something any good artist should aspire to. So we're almost done here. So why should Christians uh, engage in art? Unfortunately, uh, for the better part of the past few centuries, Christians have retreated from culture and have not engaged in the arts, or much of anything, really. Uh, and there's many reasons for that, but I don't know if any of them are legitimate. I really don't think they are. I don't think retreating from culture, getting into a shell, your own little Christian shell with all your little Christian friends and not going out there in the big bad world, um, I think that's a violation of a biblical mandate. Uh, because there is the mandate for us to, as God's people to steward and have dominion over all of creation. This includes the realm of creativity. Uh, for that reason alone, we should engage in the arts. Secondly, we bear God's image. So we're inclined towards creating things. But as God's people, we're also being conformed to the image of Christ daily. So even more reason we should actively engage the culture at an artistic level. So uh, what should we avoid in art? Uh, copying stuff as Christians, especially copying stuff the world has done and tacking Jesus onto it. It's cheesy, and it ends up being invalid. And oftentimes the worldly stuff is terribly crafted art. It's just bad. And tacking Jesus onto it does not redeem it. It's still bad. It's still bad. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, again, uh, using a bullhorn, this is a hobby horse of mine because this is something that just grates my nerves because I love all forms of artic- artistic expression. Uh, but that bullhorn, man, just seeing that, just being like that's all that's there in your face with no consideration for all these other important elements of what makes art good. So uh, avoid doing that. Uh, and, and something Christians especially should, uh, should avoid is uh, being afraid to be bold. Don't be, don't be scared. Be bold. Be creative. Uh, both in your message. Folks, we have the truth. And it's, it is a truth to a dying world that needs it. Uh, that's a bold man right there. And that's how he, he, he's doing it right. Uh, and he's creative. Uh, so you be bold in your message and your use of your technical skills. Uh, be bold, be daring, try new things. Because you've got to keep in mind, all the art that, uh, that has preceded us started with people attempting new techniques. So don't be afraid to do that, even if you fail. That's all part of the process. But again, uh, but also avoid being boldness for the sake of it. Now, we're wrapping up. What should we do as Christians? Uh, we create from a place of grace and benevolence. As Christians, we uh, should be well familiar with that uh, because God demonstrates that to us every single day. Uh, we create in such a way that we want to give to others because God has given us uh, beauty to appreciate and he's given us the very life we live. So we should be of a giving disposition. Uh, we can express our love for God and people through giving the world beauty. Uh, we should co- create from a place of truth. Again, God is the source of all truth. We belong to him. We should know that truth and let it flow from us naturally. And artists shouldn't have to force it. And artists shouldn't have to bullhorn it. Just let it flow. But create from that place of truth. Uh, create from a place of worship. Let your creations be a means of worshiping God. And also let them prompt others to worship him as well. You sh- your art should naturally be a call to worship. Because don't forget, when people see beauty and it resonates, what it, what's really happening is they're seeing God's imprint on that thing of beauty. Subsequently, they're drawn to it. So always strive for excellence. And this goes for everyone, not just those of you here who are inclined towards the arts in the sense of, paint, in the sense of painting or sculpture or poetry or film. Remember art in the broad sense, uh, that it encompasses any human creative endeavor, from building a house or tailoring a coat or painting a picture or writing a poem. Always strive for excellence, knowing that you, um, uh, what you create could and hopefully will impact future generations and serve to be a lasting psalm to the Lord. Remember, folks, art is long, life is short. Thank you. Huh? Oh, oh. Oh, Just when I thought I was getting away, she reminded me. Does anyone have any questions? Oh, Austin, okay. Because you're my friend. Go ahead. What's up? That's a good question. Iconoclasm, like the iconoclastic movements and things like that. Well, right, right, uh, because of graven, graven, 
Oh, you're one of them Bibles wrapped in the flag type, right? Okay. <laughs> you forfeited an answer, so I'm not answering. No, so anyway, seriously, that, you know, that's a good question. Um, I think that that's it, it, what's called, uh, essentially formally called the iconoclast movement. And that has, that, there's been many of those, even before the Reformation, by the way. That has been something the church has been going back and forth on. And what essentially what he's asking is, how do you square um, you know, their views, meaning there should not be any kind of imagery of Jesus or any kind of things like that because it's a violation of graven images. I would say that um, my personal opinion on that is that it's not, um, especially if you're doing it in a sense, uh, if you're, well, I don't know. It's a tough one. But uh, I would just say that if, if it's an attempt to express that which is true and good and beautiful, I think that that is sufficient uh, grounds for it. And I think, too, because we see um, all throughout Scripture as well how God has encouraged people to create things. That's another aspect of that. But as far as the kind of class movement, I don't know. I think you have to just live by your conscience on that. I don't think that it is a violation of the second commandment. I don't know if that's helpful, but I think it's just it's a matter if you live by your conscience. Would you say that the Gospels themselves are artistic? I definitely think they are. I think, well, I think the entirety of Scripture is, 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 uh, I don't think I answered your question fairly, though, fully. I would ask is like, you think that part of the reason we have such a pushback against, like, our hesitancy to get into culture is because of, but because of the Reformation? Well, it wasn't just all, all the Reformers. There was a lot of debate on that, too, during the Reformation. It wasn't all. And then, you know, you see it kind of die down, and then you see it crop up again with the Puritans, and then you see it die down. I mean, it's just a constant pendulum swing there. So, I mean, it's not like it has been a general consensus. Um, you know, I would say that, you know, I was reading, funny enough, I was reading an essay by John Dryden, who was a, you know, 17th century Puritan. I was reading an essay, as you do, just sort of kicking back on a Saturday. And he was kind of, he was having to contend with a lot of Puritan thought about uh, just the use of even drama or the use of fairies and imagery and stuff like that. But, um, and I'm going to get back to your question too, but... Um, and his, you know, his was is like you can have creative license and poetic license without it being some sort of nefarious reason behind it. Like you're trying to make a graven image. I mean, that's another thing too. These, you know, at the context of that and of the second uh, commandment is that it was they're in this culture that is just grossly pagan, and that's the whole point. Is like these graven images were meant to, you know, put God like these little idols especially all these pagan cultures that were surrounding these people, to put their gods that had some sort of control. They had control over their god. And to make a graven image of God in that sense, it's like you have some sort of control over him. So it does speak motive. And I don't think if you're painting a picture of Jesus, uh, I don't think that you're trying to say, I have control over him, so I'm hanging him on the wall because he's going to keep the boogeyman away. I don't think... That the, you see what I'm saying? So I do think a, a lot of it is intent. So I hope that answers a little bit better. Okay, sorry, I stumbled a little bit there. Really quickly, <coughs> off on a tangent of this, recently we have seen extremists. Um, this is not about what Christians have created, but our appreciation of what has been created because it gives us a sense of where we have come from. 
the terrorists going in and absolutely desecrating the, the antiquities of these ancient cultures. Yes, they were pagan gods. But how do we as Christians respond to that? Are we saddened mm. that someone has decided they are God in a sense that they believe they can destroy it all? Mm -hmm. Um, it's like I've been to the British Museum and I've looked at these wonderful um, even works of pagan pagan antiquity, sure. And I stand there, or even a piece of music, like I've heard Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga do The Lady is a Tramp. Mm -hmm. That is not a Christian song. No, no, no. Well, I think someone else has established right. we can disagree. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think our reaction should be outrage. Again, because I mentioned earlier that not only are these even humanly made things, not only do they bear the imprint of God, they also bear the mannishness of man. And when we see that such things happen, that is an assault on the dignity of a fellow image bearer or a group of collective image bearers, even if they're ranked pagans or if they're atheists. Um, we still should you know, in one sense, be saddened by that. But in another sense, um, I want to be careful. I don't like to say either or um, anything. I'm real, I, I hate false dichotomies, false either or dilemmas. It drives me nuts and it's rampant in our culture and in our church, unfortunately. So I want to be careful. I want to, you know, season that with, on the other hand, when we do see things uh, that have set themselves up against God, which is what pagan imagery does, we uh, rejoice in that destruction in that sense, but in another sense, we're saddened because it is an assault on the dignity of a fellow image bearer. So it's a mixed bag. And I don't think that that's being double-minded. I think it's being careful. And, I hope. Nothing takes him. And I'm sort of uncomfortable saying this, but what's the possibility that was his way of taking it? It very well could be. And that's why we can rejoice in that fact. But also, just like, think about it. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He's not smacking his lips at the thought of people going to hell. But on the other hand, when his justice is served, you know, he, it pleases him. Look at the cross. He took no pleasure in the death of his son, but in, the, in, a, in one sense, but in another sense, it pleased him because his will was being accomplished. His will was being violated and accomplished simultaneously because he does not will men to murder, but he willed for his son to die. So it's just you got to be think those things through. And that's, that is a lofty statement right there, but it, it, it needs to be nuanced, but that's going way off track that's from... That's where he's God and we're not, exactly. Um, but we should, in our character, strive to be like him and to love what he loves and to hate what he hates, to rejoice when he rejoices and to uh, grieve when he grieves. So, uh, But your thing about the Gospels being artistic expressions, uh, what, what were you saying, in my opinion, do I think that they are? Or? When you talk about how art and being expertly crafted, yes. like you look at Matthew. I mean, yes. Cow. Yeah. <laughs> Right. 
Right. Um, well, I think, again, I think, and I left this out because I just really couldn't find a place for it in my lecture, but I think that the existence of Scripture in general shows God as artist in that he inspired the entirety of Scripture. Uh, and, you know, here at Credo House and with the ministry, um, we actually have a course on this about, you know, how to study the Bible. And something that oftentimes Christians don't realize is that the scriptures are filled with many types of genres of, of, of literature. So God inspired scripture to be written, and he allowed for all these different, he allowed for poetry. Uh, there's poetic books, there's history books, there's epistles, and there's gospel accounts. Uh, and there's even apocalyptic literature, as we see with Revelation. So he allowed for all this. And as mentioned, he allowed for hyperbole, uh, the use of literary devices. Um, some of my favorite is sarcasm, uh, especially when God's being sarcastic. You know, if you're familiar with that, with Job, but that's, that's good. Um, but I do think, and when we talk about well-crafted, and we can even see a difference in, say, the crafting, say, of Hebrews, which is like high-end Greek as opposed to Paul, or even Paul, because he has all these run-on sentences. And, and I don't know Greek. I don't know Koine Greek or the classical stuff, but I just know what I've learned from very trusted sources, the run-on sentences and all that kind of stuff. So, um, But yeah, I do think that the Gospels, the totality of Scripture is a, definitely um, has been inspired and is a, an inspired work of art. Uh, that, and see, that's that. I see what you're saying. That that's sort of uh, the very words. And see, the thing is, though, people can and often do elevate scripture to, to, and that's a danger too. So we can recognize its beauty and recognize it as being inspired and recognize the artistic uh, nature of it. Uh, but we have to be careful not to elevate it to even above or to the same level as Jesus and uh, as the Trinity. Uh, and we need to be careful that with art in general, not to turn it into an idol because we as people are so bent towards idolatry. And what that really is, idol worship at the end of the day, is worship of yourself. Yeah. We're all, we're all bent to that. For some, we may worship football. We may worship music. We may worship Jim Jarmusch films. I'm guilty. Uh, you know, um, love him. But, but, but really, we got to be careful with that because what we're doing is we're elevating that, and we just have that propensity. So we always need to be on alert. And you guys, as artists, you do, like she mentioned that earlier, you got to be real careful not to find your identity in that and also not to elevate that to something that... Uh, don't mistake, you know, your passion for Jesus and expressing the truths of Jesus for, you know, your, your passion for art. You want to be sure that you have passion of the, the source of that. You have passion for the person of Christ. Uh, any more questions? Yes, ma'am. That's all right. <laughs> um, kind of going off of idol worship, I noticed that a lot of artists, whether they be writers or um, musicians, poets, um, or painters tend to focus a lot on melancholy, like what is broken and sad yeah. in culture. And as like in my writings, how I express myself, I'm expressing a lot of pain and like anger that I have with the word, and I want to make sure that you know those things do happen. Yeah. And melancholy, in, and thinking like, yeah, that's a very good thing. Uh, yeah, that was really good. And in fact, uh, I can't remember. I did so much reading and listening to lectures. Um, 
I want to say it's Schaefer again. I think it is Schaefer in that book or in the Bible. I'm kidding you. I'm not kidding you guys. You can read this thing in like an hour, maybe. It's tiny. Um, but it's power-packed. Uh, and he talks about that. You know, as Christians, you can openly talk about the struggle as a Christian. You can openly talk about your sins. But don't let that be your hobby horse. Because you got to also remember, we are redeemed. We're being renewed daily. Uh, we're being conformed to the image of Christ daily. We're free from that. So when we, you know, this is something I think of, and I think of this in my own life when I'm looking at my own sin. Uh, kids, no need to share details, but when I'm looking at my own sin, um, what it really makes me think of at the end of the day is how holy and perfect God is. And so to any of you, if you're sitting and obsessing over your sin, stop. Be honest with yourself. Notice and realize that you're not perfect. Uh, and realize uh, that, that you're still broken and you're being mended every day. But take pause when you're so consumed, you know, with the thoughts of, of how broken you are and how hard life is. Let that prompt you always to look to Christ and to see his beauty and to see his, the freedom that he has and to see all of that. And that's the only advice I can give you. Uh, I don't know how to make it stop. I don't know how to make it lessen. I can just only say what I think is uh, like biblical advice, which is just let that at least be a springboard to Christ, to look at him and to look at his holiness and to humble you and be grateful and be joyful. See what I'm saying? Yeah. To be joyful. Yeah. Would you say actually to that, um, I think of the psalmist David. Yeah. He's very honest with him. melancholy. Yeah. 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 The imprecatory psalms. We did a podcast on that. When I see that, it's God appreciates authenticity. He doesn't want this, done this bull crap, kind of forget my whatever. Forget my. He doesn't want this bull crap. You can say Be authentic before God. It's God already knows what's going on. He's not surprised, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe what just happened. Yeah. He's like, I see this. Be authentic towards me. And you see David, he does this, and he's like, I'm pissed, blah, blah, blah. Then he goes back into memory, okay, God, I know who you are. Yeah. yeah. You are good. You are a good father. You mm-hmm. are my king. Yeah. And it's a recognition. So being real authentic before him and allowing the spirit, it's okay. It's my turn to be authentic with you. His honesty oh, and vulnerability good. is balanced mm-hmm. always by humbleness. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, yeah. he, and he often expresses like the glory of God and yeah, the beauty yes. of God. Because I mean anyone who knew me from like college days, like Brianna and, and Ashley, like they knew I wrote very angry poems all the time. And I was a I was the bullhorn guy. And I was out in Philadelphia, uh, hanging out with it was like an intentional Christian community and like that was like my golden calf back in college. And like I spent some time with them and I realized I don't have anything to say to these people. Because all I have is things to say to like nominal Christians, mm-hmm. anything of beauty that true followers of Christ could actually appreciate. Mm-hmm. And so God gave me this image one night where He was like, "David, I want you to come sit in my house and and be next to this crackling fire and be warm with me. And all you're doing is standing out on the porch, yelling at passerby's, telling them." how stupid they are for not being inside next to the fire. And you yourself aren't there. That's excellent. He's like, come sit next to the fire with me. 
tell them how orange it is and the crackle and, yeah. and to describe the warmth like that changed the way I wrote. Can I can I just uh, reiterate that uh, all these four points are manifest in this gentleman right here? I'm not kidding you. I mean, he's he, you know. Well, and 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 he I. He I uh, nah, he's yeah, but seriously, I have such and just standing there before I, I was I was just bawling, of course, um, because just to hear the truth said so passionately and so with such beautiful words and the turn of a phrase, I mean, such technical excellence, such validity, um, such content and uh, such a vehicle. You have all those things, seriously. Uh, so much so that I got a little prideful saying, you know what, I think we can just tell Brianna that David's already done the lecture because that's the lecture. I don't really think I need to go up and do it. Because I, I started being kind of like, well, you know, I'm not good at this. I've never done it before. But then I realized, well, you know what? I've, I've studied these things and I have a passion for these things and I want people to know the truth. So let, let me be used of the Lord. It was like immediately, it was like instantly, like humbled. Like, Carrie, shut up. The Lord's like, come do it. And I looked at her and I'm like, I need to do this. So, all right. Thank you very much. Well, uh, if that's it, thank you, everybody. God bless.